I have a message for you. Uh, Hopefully it's going to be pretty brief. I tend to talk too long. Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. Matthew 20, 29 through 34. I'm going to read uh, this passage to you. Matthew 20, 29 through 34. This is what it says. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Father, today as we turn our hearts and minds towards your word, I pray that you'd speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. They're coming out of the city of Jericho, and it says a great multitude followed him. The him, of course, in this story is Jesus, And the multitude that is following him is a multitude of individuals who have seen him, who have heard him, who have experienced him. Many of them had received from him. Many of them had been healed by him. They had heard his teaching. They had had experienced his presence. They had encountered him. And what they experienced in that encounter with Jesus convinced him that the best thing that they could do with their lives was to follow him. I want us to get this in our minds and hearts, that there was a reason why the multitudes followed him, and they followed him not just because they were caught up in a hype. And they caught him not just be- they followed him not just because they wanted something from him, but what they experienced in the presence of Jesus when they encountered Jesus, when they heard Jesus, when they saw Jesus, when they experienced Jesus, what they experienced in that encounter convinced them that the best thing that they could do for their life was follow him. Follow him where? Wherever he's going. We're following Jesus. So Jesus is coming out of Jericho, and there's a great multitude that's following him, a multitude of individuals who have seen him, heard him, encountered him, experienced him, and determined that following him was the best decision they could make for their life. And then it says, and behold, two blind men, sitting by the road. These two blind men are not following, they're sitting. Why are they sitting and not following? Because they have not seen him. They have not heard him. They have not experienced him. They have not encountered him. And because they have not seen him, heard him, experienced him, or encountered him, they have not come to the conclusion that the best thing they could do for their life is to follow him. I want us to understand that Jesus was not preaching a new religion and inviting people to join a new religion. The the multitude that followed him were not following a new religion. They were following him. You see, oftentimes what trips people up and prevents them from actually understanding what it means to come to Jesus is the church. The church is often the greatest impediment the greatest hindrance to faith in Jesus Christ because we mistake the call to follow Jesus with a mistake to follow the church. 
These individuals were not following the church. They were following Jesus. And the definition of what it means to be the church means to be the multitude of those who are following Jesus, not the multitude of those who are following the church. The question is not, what is our church doing this month? The question is, what is Jesus doing this month? The question is not, what is our church planned? The question is, what has Jesus planned? And if we get it in our minds and hearts, I was thinking, I was talking yesterday to somebody, and I was telling them how my wife and I were in, 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 um, in Korea over the summer uh, during our sabbatical, and we went to Jeju Island in, in Korea, and uh, we took a, a taxi. We scheduled a taxi at 7, 7 o'clock in the morning to drive us to the other side of the island so that we could take the ferry over to Udo Island, and then we biked around Udo Island all day. It was so much fun. It was the most awesome things. It, my, my, my wife and my daughter both said that it was the most fun vacation day we had ever had in the history of our, our lives. It was awesome. But we come out at 7 a.m., we're groggy, and as soon as we get in the taxi, I looked at the taxi driver, and I just sensed that his heart was wide open. And I looked back, my wife and daughter get in the back seat, and I said, baby, I need you to translate. And she's like, why? I'm like, I'm going to share the gospel with him. And my wife is like, oh, come on. It's, we're on vacation, you know. <laughs> it's 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, no, no, this dude needs Jesus, and he needs Jesus right now. And so I start sharing the gospel of Jesus with him, and his heart was just wide open. And within 15 minutes, tears started welling up in his eyes. And then he took my hand and just started squeezing my hand while I'm sharing the gospel with him. And then he opened his heart, and I said, it's so easy. All you got to do is just open your heart and invite Jesus to come in, and he'll come in. And so he opened his heart and said, how do I do it? I said, repeat this prayer after me. He said the prayer with me, and then the tears just started to flow. And you could just sense like the glory of God just came into that car, and Jesus came into that guy's life. And guess what he told us? He said, my wife is a believer, and her mother is a believer, and they've been begging me for years to come to church. And I've told them, that's your thing. I don't want to have anything to do with that. I don't believe that stuff. You guys do the church thing and leave me alone. And what I realized at that moment was the problem was they were inviting him to church and not to Jesus. Can I say to you that nobody needs to have a personal relationship with church? But everybody needs to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And if we are preaching the gospel of church to people, of course they don't want that. I don't want that. But when you share the real gospel with Jesus, the real gospel of Jesus with anybody, I am convinced that everybody in their heart of hearts longs to know Jesus. Jesus was passing by, and a multitude was following him. But these two blind men sitting by the road were not following because they had not heard, because they had not seen, because they had not touched, because they had not encountered, they had not experienced the real living presence of Jesus. Now, their natural blindness is actually a great metaphor for what it is like to live outside of Christ. If you are living in an unbelieving state in which you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, actually, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the glory of the gospel of Christ. They can't see the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. That is, if you're in an unbelieving state, you simply are unable at this 
this moment to see the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. You can't see how glorious the love of God is for you. You can't see how much he loves you. You can't feel how much he loves you. You you, You're unaware of the fact that God's heart is bursting with love for you, that he can't contain how much love for you he has for you, but you can't see it because your mind has been blinded by the God of this age. Do you realize that you were created in the image and likeness of God with an innate capacity to see God, to hear God, to feel God, to, to respond to God, to receive God's love and to love God, but in your unbelieving state, the God of this age has blinded your mind so that you can't see God. He has deadened your innate capacity, and it's that's what it talks about being dead in your transgressions and sins. It simply means that you're living outside of the capacity to hear God, to see God, to know that God is present, to feel God wrapping his loving arms around you, to know that God is present. These two blind men sitting by the road had no capacity to see Jesus, to hear Jesus. But here's what they did have, and this is so powerful. They did have the capacity to hear from people who did have the capacity to see Jesus. That is, even though they had no personal, direct knowledge of Jesus himself, they had access to people who had personal, direct knowledge of Jesus himself. And here's the key. What changed their lives was the willingness to receive and believe the testimony of those who had encountered Jesus themselves. It says, when they heard that Jesus was passing by. It does not say when they heard Jesus passing by. It says they heard that Jesus was passing by, meaning that their knowledge of the passing by of Jesus was indirect, not direct. They heard a commotion, and they're blind. They're sitting by the road, but what's going on? What's going on? What are all these people like? What's going on? Somebody tell me what's going on. And one passerby goes, Jesus is passing through. They're like, Jesus? They're like, yeah, Jesus is passing through. They're like, who's Jesus? They're like, dude, Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the Lord. How do you know that? Because I was blind and now I can see. I met Jesus and he opened my eyes and I can see. It's like, word? (laughs) And somebody else, I was deaf and I met Jesus and now I can hear. For real? And somebody else, I was lame, and I met Jesus, and now I can walk. Do you realize, it even says in one place in Matthew that he healed the maimed, meaning those who had lost limbs, he actually grew their limbs back out. Jesus was working crazy, creative miracles. But the blind men did not see him heal the sick. See, a lot of times I hear people say, if I saw that, I would believe. If I, if I saw it with my eyes, I would believe. These blind men didn't see it with their eyes. They had nothing more than a testimony. Nothing more than a testimony. And what if, in response to that testimony, they would have de- they decided to argue? Well, how do you know? How do you know those people who said they got healed were actually really healed? How do you know they weren't faking? How do you know that wasn't a coincidence? Well, I don't know. I hear that stuff happens in other religions, too. Maybe other people did that. How do you know? Can you prove it to me? How do you know it's really Jesus walking with y'all today? It could be a Jesus imposter. It could have been Mohammed walking with y'all today. How do you know? What if they would have decided to argue and require of those giving them testimony proof? They would have been cut off from their miracle because they simply refused to receive the testimony of those who had seen 
and of those who had heard. Do you know that one of the greatest impediments to faith in Christ is entitlement? Let me tell you what I mean by entitlement. Um, you ever known a spoiled kid? Uh, have you ever known a millennial? <laughs> and it's not just millennials. Don't get me wrong. It's also Gen, Gen Zers. I'm raising one. She's 10 years old right now, my daughter. Here's my daughter. My daughter, you know what she told me? She said, Daddy, I'm spoiled. She goes, and I love it. <laughs> she knows it. But here's my daughter. You know what her favorite food is? You know what she likes to eat more than anything else? Filet mignon. She's got the most expensive taste. But she just has this expectation that food is just supposed to just like float down onto her plate. Like she's not supposed to expend any energy. So I'll ask her. Sometimes she'll go the whole day without eating because I haven't like floated the food down. Like I'm waiting for her to ask. I'm like, baby, aren't you hungry? She's, yeah. Well, what do you want to eat? I don't know. I, I don't know. And I'm thinking, I got a couple filet mignon in the fridge. I'm like, do you want a filet mignon? Eh, whatever. Okay. Whatever. I'm like, I just offered you some of the best food in the world. Like, there are people around the world who would love to eat the scraps from your filet mignon. And I just offered you some of the, the highest quality food in the world. And your response was, eh. Okay, what? In other words, if you want to make it for me, I'll do you the favor of allowing you to make me filet mignon. How's that? That's how people respond to the presence of God. Jesus is in the room. Do you want to be touched by Jesus? Eh. Whatever. I guess so. Do you want Jesus to heal you? Eh. I guess so. Do you want to experience the presence of Jesus? Eh. I mean, you know, if he comes to me and just floats down his grace to me, you know, if he wants to heal me, I will allow him to do so. I mean, what if the blind man had that attitude like, you know what, I'm here. Like, if he ever wants to, like, make me see, you know, then he could just, you know, shoot. He, he knows where I am. I'm sitting right here. If he wants to make me see, tell him to stop and come over here and make me see. And then when Jesus walks right by, he says, see, he don't love me. He don't care about me. Because if God really loved me, he would not require of me any activity, any response, any initiative. Do you know what I do with my daughter sometime? I wait till she gets desperate. Like yesterday. I, I waited till 2 o'clock. Don't tell my wife this. My wife will be so... But I knew she hadn't eaten. I'm just watching her. And I asked her. I asked her around 10 a.m., are you hungry? She goes, eh. And then about noon. You hungry? Eh. I'm like, mm -hmm. all right. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to push it. About 2 o'clock in the afternoon, she came to me desperate. Daddy, I'm so hungry. And here's what I did. The refrigerator is right there. I need you to go into the fridge and find yourself something to eat. I will help you. I will assist you. But I will not spoon feed you like a baby anymore. I'm requiring you to know what you want. I'm requiring you to actively pursue what you want. 
Jesus, do you think Jesus didn't know that two blind men were sitting there by the road? But Jesus respected them enough to wait for them to ask him to stop and minister to them. Now, these blind men, when they heard the testimony, Jesus is passing by. And notice the testimony was Jesus is passing by. What that means is that there's an urgency to the moment. If you all just sit here quietly, the moment will pass you by. Jesus will be gone. And who knows if you will get this opportunity again. The thing that we, we get it twisted all the time. It's like, well, if I don't get a hold of God today, maybe tomorrow, maybe, you know, maybe next Sunday we'll try again. You don't understand grace. You don't understand. You might not have another opportunity. You might not, you might not have a tomorrow morning. To take the grace of God for granted and say, you know, one day, I, I, you know, I have a friend that I've shared the gospel with for more than 25 years since we were in high school. And every time I've shared the gospel, he says, one day, you know, one day, one day, one day, one day. It's like taking the, taking the grace of God for granted. Jesus is passing by. You might not get another opportunity. You're lucky you get this opportunity. Do you realize every time we come into the house of God, Jesus is passing by and he's got something in his hand for you today. And do we, I, listen, I urge you not to take the grace of God for granted. You know, one thing that I've learned is every time I experience the presence of God, I don't take it for granted. It's like there's a grace that God is holding out for me today. God, don't let me miss it. Whatever you're bringing me today, don't let me miss it. Don't let me miss it. There's an urgency to it. These two blind men heard the testimonies of what Jesus could do. And then they heard the testimony, Jesus is passing by. And when they awakened to that opportunity, they cried out. We are not going to miss this moment. We're not going to passively wait for him to come to us. We are going to cry out. It says they cried out. And what did they cry out? Have mercy on us, Lord, son of David. Mercy. They cried out for mercy. And when you cry out for mercy, that is the opposite of the assumption that you deserve something. Mercy is the opposite of what you deserve. What they were saying was, you would be perfectly in your rights to leave us in the condition we, we're in right now. But we're asking you for mercy. Mercy, the word mercy, eleison in the Greek, it literally means to offer help to one who is afflicted or helpless. What they were saying to Jesus was, we are helpless in our current situation. And if you pass us by, we'll be stuck here forever. Have you ever been in that situation? God, if you pass me by, I will be stuck here forever. I believe God gives us that experience even after we come to him over and over again to remind us of the fact that we're not only saved by his mercy, but we live by his mercy every day. I went through such a difficult season of my life last year, and coming into this year, I had this overwhelming fear of death. I was 45 pounds heavier than I am now. I was in and out of the hospital. I, I kept having these blood pressure uh, um, uh, situations where my blood pressure would go up to 220 over 186. And it happened twice within a three-month period of time, and I was crying out to God, God, 
I need your mercy. I need you to help me. Lord, if you don't help me, I'm lost. And the Lord came to me when I cried out for mercy, and it was just him that answered my prayer on March 14th of this year. I had a visitation from God that changed my whole life, and I ended up losing 45 pounds in the aftermath of it. But people say, you're so disciplined. No, I am not. I have the least amount of discipline of anyone you have ever met. I guarantee it. Me and food, it's like crack. I'm serious. Sugar is like crack to me. I'm a junkie. Like, I am addicted. So there was no way I could have broken that on my own. I, had, I, I knew I couldn't do it by myself. I cried out to God, Lord, I need your mercy. I've done this to myself, and you have every right to leave me in this situation, but I'm asking for mercy. These two blind men were crying out to God for mercy. Jesus, have mercy. And then they called him the Lord, which means that he has authority over your situation, which means that he has more than compassion, but he has power. You see, if he has compassion but no power, the best he could give you is pity. Have you ever been in that situation where you had compassion on someone but had no power to change their situation? Isn't that the most difficult place where you're just sitting there going, man, I wish I could do something for you, but I can't. I don't have the power. But they, they, were, not only, they were not asking him for pity. They called him the Lord, meaning you have power over our situation. They not only believed that he was merciful, but they also believed that he was powerful. Lord. And then they called him the son of David. Son of David, meaning that he's the Messiah, meaning that he is the king, meaning that he is the savior. He not only has mercy and has power, but he's the savior. What they didn't realize was that when they called him the son of David or the Messiah, they were identifying him as the one who would save us by offering his life for our sin. What they didn't realize is that when they acknowledged him as the son of David, they acknowledged that what they needed was more than the opening of their physical eyes. But they needed to be changed in the depths of their heart. It says they cried out, meaning they intentionally caused a disturbance. Church service is going on fine, and somebody just starts screaming over there. They were completely out of order, very disruptive. And it says the multitude warned them to be quiet. Warn, meaning they were going to do something. If you don't shut, shut up. Shut your mouth. You guys are causing a disturbance. Be quiet. But it says they cried out all the more. Isn't it interesting? The multitude of people who had already seen Jesus for themselves, the multitude of people who had already experienced Jesus for themselves, the people who already got their miracle were now trying to quiet down the people who had not gotten their miracle yet. The multitude that quickly had become religious. You just met Jesus yesterday and you're already a religious hypocrite. Just met Jesus and already religious. You forgot what it was like when you were blind. You forgot what it was like when you were lame. You forgot what it was like before you encountered the mercy of Jesus. Do you know it never ceases to amaze me when someone finally wakes up and realizes 
that Jesus is the Lord and that he's merciful and that he's powerful and that he's the Savior, and they, they begin to cry out for him, how the religious people get uncomfortable. Somebody says, this is not a charismatic meeting. It has nothing to do with charismatic. It has everything to do with desperation. It has everything to do with break. They had broken free. And listen, they were willing to offend people in order to get to Jesus. And what you find over and over again throughout the Gospels is that the people who were willing to offend people to get to Jesus, who didn't care what people thought of them, remember the woman with the issue of blood pressed her way through the crowd, defiled everybody. She wasn't supposed to touch nobody. She didn't care. She defiled everybody. You hear people say, oh, I didn't come to church because I'm too dirty. I didn't want to, you know, I, I'm just too unclean and I need to get myself clean. No, this woman didn't care. This woman was the most defiled person in the room and she was willing to touch everybody and push everybody out of way to get to Jesus. She got her healing. She got her miracle. Why? Because she didn't give a, you know what? Not one. That's the attitude you have to have. These two men on the side of the road, they did not. What about Zacchaeus? He climbed up in a tree. Do you know how out of order that is in, in Israel? People, what, what is a grown man doing up in a tree? People walking by, what is this fool doing up here in this tree? Get your fool self down from that tree. Didn't your mama teach you? Some? He did not care. Do you realize they wore robes? <laughs> Got no home training up in a tree. His priority was seeing Jesus. Not church. Jesus. Passivity will keep you outside of the presence of God. Passivity will allow Jesus to pass right by you and nothing will change in your life. And here's the definition of passivity. Passivity is the process of placating yourself in your blind condition. I may be blind, but I'm not bored. Because here's what I've done in my blindness. I got Netflix, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and I am entertaining myself. I read, I read something yesterday. It said, give a weak man consistent sex cheap food, and a variety of entertainment, and he'll give up all his dreams. I thought that is so true. Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to experience the presence of God? Wouldn't it be awesome to wake up in the morning and feel his love coming at you in wave after wave? Wouldn't that be better than Netflix? Wouldn't it be awesome to regain your created capacity to hear God when he speaks? Wouldn't it be awesome to come into the house of God and to feel what you see the person across the room feeling? Do you realize that the shape of your being was molded and custom crafted for the experience of the presence of God. You were created to experience God. You were created. Your ears were created to hear His voice. 
Your eyes were created to see his presence. Your nose was created to smell the fragrance of his presence. Do you realize that every component of your being, your body, your soul, and your spirit were all formed and fashioned for the very purpose of experiencing the presence and power of God? These two blind men, these two blind men made a decision. This moment is not going to pass us by. This is our moment. This is our opportunity. And we're going to, I don't care if we're embarrassed. And you know what? If he passes us right on and doesn't stop and we're humiliated and all we have are the jeers of the crowd telling us to shut up, oh well. They're just going to have to jeer at me because I'm not letting Jesus pass me by. Remember the two who were willing to tear a hole in the roof to lower their friend down to Jesus? Jesus always met people who were willing to do whatever it took to get a hold of him. But he walked right past passive people who were not willing to respond or believe the testimonies that they received. They simply were waiting for God to break into their house and reveal himself to them. He does not respond to passivity. He responds to desperation. The crowd warned them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Jesus, have mercy on us, Lord, Son of David. They cried out all the more, and it says, Jesus stood still. He didn't turn and run to them. He stood still. He stopped. He heard the crowd telling them to be quiet, and he ignored the crowd. Jesus is passive to the religious people who are telling the desperate people to be quiet but he is responsive to the desperate people who are crying out for his mercy. Jesus is passive to religion, but he is responsive to desperation. You notice that if you read through the Gospels, whenever anyone asked Jesus to come, he came. And whenever they asked him to leave, he left. And when they asked him to stay, he stayed. He is responsive to desperation. He is completely passive to religion. He stops in his tracks, and he turns toward these two blind men. And this is, this is what's key for me. Jesus asked them this question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want? What can I do for you? How can I help you? Well, isn't it obvious? We're blind? Yeah, but some people don't know they're blind. And so they come to Jesus and they ask him for other stuff. I mean, I see blind people by the side of the road all the time. And when they talk to Jesus, they don't ask for the opening of their eyes. They say, Lord, you know, I got this parking ticket the other day and, you know, I can't afford to pay this $45 for this parking ticket. So do you think you could like intervene on my behalf? You see people who don't know Jesus praying for temporal stuff. You're blind, but what are you asking for God for? Lord, can you help me get this new job? You're blind, but you're not asking him to help you, to, to let you see. You're not, asking, you're not asking, God, I can't see you. Would you open my eyes so I could see your presence? I came into your house, and, and people next to me and people around me are, are responding to your presence. I didn't even know you were there. Lord, I want to see. But instead, you're crying out for money, for a wife, for a husband for a new job, for a better place to live in. All of that is fine. Don't get me wrong. Notice when Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? 
he would have given them whatever they asked for. If they would have said, could you just help us to get into this government program where we can get some government assistance? We said, all right. Have your government assistance. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying anything's wrong with government assistance. I've got to be careful because I'm going to get a couple emails afterwards. What? There's nothing wrong with government. Yeah, of course, that's not what it's about. <laughs> the point I'm making is that the problem with a lot of us is not just that we're blind, but we don't know we're blind. I had a friend who, uh, she, you know, I was almost legally blind before, before I had LASIK surgery. I always had, you know, big thick glasses. You know? She was criminally bl blind. She was like, she had a, a, an eye test. They took her straight to jail, right? <laughs> you know, she was more than legally blind, right? She was, uh, but, but they told her, she was at a church where they said, you got to claim your healing by faith. So she was claiming to be healed even though she was still blind. She was driving without her glasses. <laughs> I said, oh, Lord Jesus. You're claiming to see, but you're still blind. You're claiming to know the Lord, but you've actually never encountered him. You're claiming that your life's in the right place. You've, if you ask the average person on the street, I've talked to so many people, do you know the Lord? Oh, yeah, I think I know God. Yeah, I think I know God. Yeah, I think I know God. Completely unaware that you're blind. That your capacity to experience and to respond to his presence is still dead. Jesus can't make you see until you recognize that you're blind. And, when, and listen, this is the key. When you recognize the extent to which you're blind, to that very extent, Jesus makes you see. They said, Lord, that we might see. We want to see. That's what we want. And he says to them, cool, go ahead and see. And at that very moment, their eyes are open. May I say to you today that the most important and the most powerful prayer that you could pray and pray on a daily basis is, Lord, open my eyes that I may see. I want to see your presence Open my eyes that I can see. I want to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I want to see the light of the gospel. I want to see what the thing is all about. Do you realize that all of the disciples of Jesus gave their lives, all except John, died for their testimony that Jesus had arisen from the dead, that they were all executed, and most of them executed in an extraordinarily painful way, but none of them recanted. Not one of them recanted at the point, on the threat of death. Not one of them said, okay, we made the whole thing up. Why? What, what, what was it that they were willing to die for? What was it that sealed their testimony? I've seen. I saw him. John talks about it in 1 John chapter 1. That which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which our hands have handled, we have encountered. We've, this is not a theology we're preaching. This is a reality that we're preaching. It's the reality of God. We have seen him. We've handled him with our hands. We've experienced the love of God. I pray that prayer almost every day. God, open my eyes and let me see. I want to see your glory. I want to experience your presence. I want to respond to your love. It's the most powerful prayer you could pray.
Because when you pray that prayer, from the depths of your heart, out of a heart that has realized just how deeply you need Jesus, Jesus stops in his tracks and he turns toward you and says, cool, why don't you go ahead and see? Let's just go ahead and open those eyes for you right now. And it said, their eyes opened and they saw, and here's what's crazy. This is, this is the, the end of it. It says, and they got up and they followed him. When their eyes opened, they didn't get up and go their way. When their eyes opened, they got up and they followed him. Why did they follow him? Because now they had seen him. Now they had heard him. Now they had experienced his power and his glory. And now they concluded that the best decision they could make for their life was to follow him. And this is the key. I've seen a lot of people have an encounter with Jesus that changed their lives, but yet they did not make the decision to get up and follow him. You see, some people, when they have that encounter with Jesus, it's super dramatic, like they were blind and God opens their eyes. They were deaf and God opens their ears. I've seen people lame and suddenly they can walk because God made their legs walk. Some people have these dramatic, powerful, overwhelming experiences, but for some people, it's very subtle. For some people, Jesus just kind of walks by the sea and looks out at them in their boat and says, why don't you come follow me? No miracle. No walking on water, calming the sea, opening deaf ears or opening blind. No physical manifestation, no miracle. He just walks up on the shore and he looks out at the person and says, why don't you come follow me? And they go, you know what? Let's go. Let's go. I haven't even figured it out yet, but I'm following you. You see, you don't actually need a crisis experience. You don't actually need a super dramatic experience. You simply need to make the decision that the best thing I can do with my life is follow him. And following him means that on the way, he's going to correct what I believe. That on the way, he's going to correct my behavior. That on the way, he's going to correct the stuff in my life that needs to be corrected. He'll correct it as we go. But I've simply come to the conclusion that the best decision I could make for my life is to follow him. And these two blind men, they hadn't seen Jesus before, but they saw him now. They hadn't heard Jesus before, but they heard him now. They hadn't encountered the presence of Jesus before, but they encountered him now. And now having seen him, having heard him, having encountered him, they made the decision we're going to follow him. But before they had seen him, heard him, and encountered him, they had seen, heard, and encountered people who had seen, heard, and encountered him. And maybe you're here today and you've never seen, heard, and encountered him. Can I tell you? I have. And you're sitting around a bunch of people that have. Maybe you're here today because one of your friends invited you here. Maybe you don't even know what this is all about. Maybe you have no grid for this stuff. Maybe you believe something else. 
But can I tell you today that Jesus is passing by in this place right now? That Jesus is passing by. And that if you reach for him, he's going to respond to you. If you ask him to open your eyes, he's going to open your eyes. If you ask him, Lord, show me your presence, he's going to show you his presence. If you ask me, Lord, if you ask him, Lord, show me your glory, he's going to show you his glory. You know, I, I kept thinking this morning of an experience I had. Someone can come to the keyboard. I had an experience several years ago in which uh, I had a, a bad tooth. I had never had a cavity before. And if you've never had a cavity before, but you get a cavity, it's a terrifying thing. And I was already an adult, and I was already married. My wife, she's had a lot of experience with cavities. She's had more cavities than teeth. <laughs> and so I saw this, you know, this big black, black rotten mark on my tooth. And I said, baby, what's that mark on my tooth? And she started laughing. She goes, that's a cavity. And I freaked out. I'm like, oh, no, a cavity. And she goes, yep, you're going to have to go. And she's making fun of me. She's like, you got to go to the dentist, and they're going to have to drill. She's making noises and stuff, you know. And so all night long, I'm dreaming of my teeth just rotting and falling out of my mouth, you know. The next day, I had to minister at a conference, and I ministered all day long. And then I had to go speak at a praise night. And I went and I spoke at that praise night. We left early in the morning. We're coming home 10 o'clock at night. I had to preach the next morning. It was a, it was a Saturday night. And as we're driving, we're taking the exit. I remembered my tooth, and this terror just went all through my body. But all of a sudden, the presence of the Lord came in the car. And I felt the presence of the Lord lo uh, localized in my face on the side where the cavity was. And I said, Lord, this feels like healing. I said, Lord, do you want to heal me? I realized Jesus was passing by. I said, Lord, if you want to heal my tooth, I receive it right now. And the moment, and just in my head I said that, but the moment I said that, I just felt whoosh in my mouth, like this overwhelming presence of God. We got in the house, I ran in the house and looked in the mirror, and that black mark was gone. And I grabbed my wife and said, hey, baby, where's that black mark on my tooth? And I opened my mouth, and she's like, come here, brother. She looks at, and she looks in my mouth, and she's like, oh, 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 where'd it go? And I told her what happened. She said, if I hadn't seen that with my own eyes, I would have called you a liar. <laughs> She said, I saw that with my own eyes. There are these moments in which Jesus is passing through. And you know what? Had I not responded to the grace of God that he was offering me in that moment, I wouldn't have received it. Had I let that moment pass me by, I wouldn't have received it. And I say to you today that Jesus in this, is in this place right now. And there's something that he's come to, to give you today. Don't let this moment pass you by. Bow your heads with me. Precious Heavenly Father, I pray today that by the power of the Holy Spirit, your hand would rest on every heart and that you would awaken within every heart a holy desperation. A holy desperation that overcomes passivity. That our hearts would awaken to the fact that we need you, and we need you desperately. Lord, I pray that not one would allow this moment to pass. Not one. And in both campuses, here in San Francisco and in Emeryville, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, nobody's looking around, I just want to ask this question. You're here today, and you say, I realize I'm blind. I'm blind to the presence of God. I'm blind to the love of God. I'm blind 
to who Jesus is, and I need him to open my eyes so that I can see him. You say, I can't do it on my own. I can't open my own eyes. But I'm ready to reach out to him. I'm ready to ask him to open my eyes. I'm ready to call upon him and ask him to open my eyes. And, and you just want to indicate today right now that I'm asking Jesus to open my eyes. I'm ready to cry out, Jesus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. You're crying out to him for mercy today. You need him to open your eyes. And I'm speaking specifically to individuals that you're not walking with him yet. You're like the two blind men sitting by the road. You're, you're not walking. You haven't decided that the best thing you could do with your life is to follow him. But you're simply making the decision today to reach out to him for mercy. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand right where you are just so I can see. I see that hand. I see that hand. You say, I'm crying out to Jesus for mercy today. Open my eyes, Lord. I'm just going to wait just 10 more seconds for anyone else. I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you today. I thank you today that it might seem like such a small thing just to lift your hand. But Lord, it's not a small thing. It's a divine thing. And it's a powerful thing. Even though it's a small step, it's a powerful step. This is Jesus. I'm coming to you. And I'm asking you to open my eyes. I want everybody just to repeat this prayer after me on both sides of the bay, all of us in this room. I want us to repeat this prayer, if you're willing. And we're going to ask Jesus together to open our eyes. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. And I open up my heart. And I ask you to open up my eyes. I want to see. Have mercy on me. I want to hear your voice. I want to know you. Jesus, I believe that you are the Lord, that you are the Savior. You gave your life for my sin. I trust you today. Lord Jesus, remove the passivity from my heart. Remove the entitlement from my heart. And allow me to become more and more desperate for your presence. What I need is you. Not religion. You, Jesus. Open my eyes. Show me your glory. Show me your face. Show me who you are. I need to know you. And I thank you today. And I give you all the glory in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise.
Now listen. As we close this service, we're going to open up these altars because some of you, you, you know, first of all, those of you who invited Jesus to come into your lives today, what a powerful step that was. I want you to know how, how proud of you I am, how thankful to God I am for that decision that you made today because it's powerful and it's awesome and it's amazing. But all of us here today need our eyes open to a greater and greater degree. Some of us have become like the crowd and we become religious and, and, and we've forgotten how to be desperate. We've forgotten how to live at the mercy of Jesus. And I just believe that Jesus is in this place today and whatever you have need of, he's here to provide. Whatever you have need of, he's here to release his power and his glory on your behalf. And if you're here today and you, you're just crying out for something more, we're going to go back into a time of worship, but we're going to release the service but we're going to invite the leaders to come to the altar. And anybody who wants to come up to this front here and just, you need somebody to pray for you and, you know, whatever you need. Maybe you might even need healing in your body. You might need a breakthrough in your life. Jesus is here to provide you with that breakthrough. I just believe that God wants to solidify some things in your life today. And even those of you who have lifted your hands, I encourage you also to come up to the front if you feel comfortable. And we want to pray for you because I believe God wants to release the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. Listen, this, this is not about church. And I keep saying that over and over again. This is about the living presence of God. And what we want, what the reason we exist as a church is to, is to manifest the truth that there's no brokenness that cannot be mended in God's presence. What we live to do more than anything else is to bring you into God's presence. We want you to experience God, to experience the power of God, to experience the love of God, to experience the spirit of God. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you more than anyone or anything in this world could ever love you. He is both merciful and powerful. And his love towards you is great. And so, Father, as we close this time, I just speak your blessing over each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours, to those who are near and to those who are far. And I pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon each and every soul and upon each and every life. I pray that you honor the prayers that were prayed today, God, that you would open up our eyes, that we would see your glory, O oh God. I thank you, Father, for your love. And you loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We give you praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise. God bless you. If leaders would come.